Well, today, for me, it's a kind of a good news, bad news scenario with my message because, um, and it might be just the reverse for you. The bad news is, for me, I'm going to complete our series through Deuteronomy. So if that's the good news for you, well, thank you for enduring it. But the good news is the way it ends, the way the, the book of Deuteronomy ends, it's just uh, inspiring for us. It should be inspiring for us. When we, when we look at and, and meditate on the last words that Moses spoke in the book of Deuteronomy before he died, um, it's amazing. The series has been entitled, an overall, A New Beginning. Without going into a long review, just to say that the nation of Israel has been camped for some time now on the, on the east side of the Jordan River, ready to cross the Jordan River. There on the other side is the city of Jericho. And they've been waiting there, and Moses has been going through what we've been looking at, the book of Deuteronomy, instructing and encouraging, challenging them, reminding them of all the things in the past, and laying out the covenants that have been established for them. And they've been doing all of these things. And now it's about time for them to cross over. But what we see has to happen first is actually in chapter 34. And this, this scripture is not going to be on the screen, but it's in Deuteronomy chapter 34, the first seven verses. And then we're going to go back into chapter 33. And I wanted to go here because Moses dies. And that's what this is telling us. It says, Moses climbed Mount Nebo and the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. And there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, and the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. Picture the scene. He he's went up the mountain, and it's like somehow the Lord is letting him see the entire promised land all the way to the Mediterranean. He's letting him see the promised land that has been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then it says, from the western sea, the Negev, and the whole region of the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as so far. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land that I promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look into these words, these final words of Moses spoke to Israel, God, I pray that you reveal to us the promises and the blessings that are there for us, not through Moses, not through the law, but through Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Moses is dead. You may remember Moses made what we see as one mistake. God had told him to pick up his rod when the people were whining and complaining that they didn't have water. And he told him to pick up his rod and he said, speak to the rock and water will come forth from that rock. You may remember he struck that rock. He disobeyed God. And God told him that you're not going to get into go into you're not going to get into go in the promised land. You're not going to get there. So he showed him it. 
So that's what took place or is what is about to take place when we go back into chapter 33. In chapter 33, it's, it's, it should be exciting if we understand what's taking place. The whole chapter is about the blessings of God. He goes through the tribes of Israel, and each one he gives this blessing to them. And it's like it's almost building to a crescendo. Not that each tribe's blessing is better than the other, but when you get to the very last verse of chapter 33, it's like the crescendo of all the blessings. And in verse 30, or chapter 33, in verse 29, it says, Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. Blessed are you. What does it mean to be blessed? What is Moses saying to these people? Blessed are you. Why are they so blessed? Well, if we look at the life of Moses, we get an interesting picture even there of how blessings can be so different. You know, to some people, if we say, boy, are they blessed, what are you saying? They just bought a new car. Boy, are they blessed. They moved into a new home. Boy, are they blessed. They've got 18 children. Boy, are they blessed. Not that all of those things aren't blessings. Every single one of them could be. But is that what Moses is saying as he gets to this place, the last words recorded in Deuteronomy that are out of his mouth? Blessed are you, Israel? No, that's not what he's talking about. When we look at Moses' life, it's broken into those three 40-year increments very well for us. It says the first 40 years, we know the story, he was found in a basket in the water by Pharaoh's daughter, and he lived the first 40 years in Pharaoh's palace with all the wealth and the power and all the very, very best that Egypt could ever offer. That's where he lived. That's where he was raised. Was he blessed? That all took place and all continued until one day he decided to murder somebody. He thought he was protecting one of his Jewish brothers and killed an Egyptian. He next spends the next 40 years out in the desert, from Pharaoh's palace to the desert, scratching out a living as a shepherd in the desert, shepherding sheep that he didn't even own. Bummer. 40 years. Was he blessed? Those 40 years. And then God calls him. And he calls him and tells him, Moses, you're going to go and confront Pharaoh. You're going back to that place where they wanted to kill you. He's called by God to lead Israel through the Red Sea. He's called by God to go up the mountain, receive the law, to speak to God. He's called for 40 years to lead the people to the promised land. You know, there is no one that we can see in Scripture that had the kind of experience and relationship with God as Moses throughout the whole Old Testament. Maybe Adam for a while, but otherwise no one. He spoke to God in God's presence. And Moses' conclusion after all of this, I'm going to paraphrase first, and then we'll go back to that Scripture. Moses' conclusion to this was, you know what, guys? You know what? speaking to the millions of Israel. He says, you know what? I've seen life at its best and what appeared to be its easiest, and I've seen life at its hardest. And you know what? There's no one on earth like you. No one on earth like you. 
No one has what you have. No one. Who is like you? A people saved by God. Why are they so blessed? What is the blessing? They've been saved by God. God chose to make them his people. God came to them, saw their situation, provided a way out and delivered them and set them free. That's why they're so blessed. The greatest thing, the greatest blessing there is, is to know God personally. That's the greatest blessing. I believe that's the crescendo that Moses led this whole chapter of blessings to was, man, you guys, there is no one like you on earth. No one. You are blessed by the Lord because he saved you. He rescued you. A people saved by the Lord. You know, if we would go back and look at the first verses, we're not going to it. You know, it says God came down. God showed up. God came to them. You know, they'd been crying out for a deliverer. But they had no idea what they were crying out for. But God came to them to deliver them. He saw their need, and he came and did it. And then he committed himself to them forever. Remember that covenant? You know, for us, God, if we can just see ourselves in the new covenant like this, you know, most of us, all of us, before we were saved, were condemned. We may not have understood it, but we were prisoners of sin. And the destination was hell. He saw our need. He knows our need. He came to us. He wooed us. And he even gave us the grace to respond or we couldn't have responded. And he rescued us and saved us, every single one of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Blessed by God. Can this apply to us? I want to read a scripture from the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3. I think I'll read two verses. This is... Galatians 3, 13 and 14, again, it's not on the screen, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who has hung on a tree. Verse 14 is the one I wanted to really read. It says this, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, us, through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. The greatest blessing there is, is to know God, to receive the Holy Spirit, to have an intimate and personal relationship with Him. In John chapter 17, verse 3, it says these words, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's easy to lose focus on what it means to be blessed. We look at all of these blessings in the natural The blessing is to know the one true God. And the only way we can know him is through Jesus Christ. A plan that we could never, ever have come up with. Nothing that we could have done. A people that are saved by the Lord. Saved by him. How do we know him? Is it easy to know God? Boy, that's a loaded question. Really depends on who you ask. Can an unsaved person know God? It makes no sense. Try to explain to an unsaved person who God is. Well, first of all, he's invisible. He's a spirit. How are you, what words are you going to use to describe him? Our natural mind just doesn't work. Our natural senses in the natural, we can't know him. The only way that we can know him is, is he reveals himself to us. And to Israel, how did he reveal himself? Well, he revealed himself at a mountain where he showed his glory. 
they heard the voice speak. The mountain shook. They got a little revelation of God. He revealed, revealed himself further to Moses, of course. But he's also revealed himself to us. Not through the law. Not through a man other than Jesus. God has revealed himself to us. As Christians, we can know him because Jesus was God in the flesh, is God in the flesh. He came as God in the flesh to show us, to reveal to us the Father. He himself says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only speak and do what the Father tells me to do. You can know him through me, understand him through me. He speaks to us even today. How does he speak to us? He speaks to us through his word, by the Holy Spirit. He guides us. He leads us. He teaches us who he is. And it's all possible because of what Jesus Christ did to make a way for us to know him, revealing himself to him. So how, how do we understand him, even in the word? How do we know who he is? Can you try imagine explaining something that no one has any idea what it is you're talking about. Suppose you, suppose you were going to try to explain electric light bulb to a caveman if they ever existed. Well, you got this power plant, and the power is created there, and somehow it goes through wires, and it comes all the way to your house, and then it comes into the house, and it goes through the walls of your house, and then you turn on a switch, and then a light turns on, a light bulb with filament in it. And they look at you and go, what's a, what's a power plant? They, they wouldn't understand a word you just said. Nothing. And that's a lot of what it's like for an unbeliever who has no revelation by God, by the Holy Spirit. Oh, we could try our best, you know. Well, there's, there's a power comes from somewhere, and it's kind of like vines that it travels through vines this power and it comes to your house and the vines go into your cave or whatever and it lights up that thing up there that looks like a small sun that gives you light i don't know did that work for anybody thank you <laughs> it really doesn't work for me very well you know it just but god chose to reveal himself and he speaks to us in the bible and he speaks to us in the bible in a pretty interesting unique way he he uses what we would call a literary um, term or a literary, yeah, I guess term's the best word I can come up with, and it's a big word, one of those nice, big, five-syllable words, anthropomorphism. He uses that literary technique throughout Scripture. What does that big word mean? If it's up there now, you can kind of see what it means. It's like given human qualities or human characteristics to anything from an inanimate object to an idol, a god, or to God himself. Why would he speak that way? That's the only way we can really understand him and who he is and what he's like. Think about the different words, and I could give you lots of scriptures here, but I'm not going to. You can check them out for yourself. But he uses terms from the human body, the face of God, that he wouldn't turn his face from us. It talks about the eyes of God searching to and fro. Man, it even talks about his ears, the ears of God that he wouldn't turn his ear from us, that he would continue to hear our prayer. And he uses these terms even coming from the, from the human body. There's one especially you could even read about in, in uh, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy and Exodus. The wind came from his nostrils and he parted the Red Sea. Well, I'm pretty sure God doesn't have nostrils. 
ears, probably not even a face, doesn't have eyes. He's a spirit. But we couldn't understand it unless he gives us something that we can relate to. He uses other terms from human emotions. God rejoices. I don't even know what it looks like when God rejoices, but I bet he does. God grieves. The zeal, God has zeal, the zeal of the Lord. All of these are anthropomorphic, those things. <laughs> anthropomorphism, there we go. Human roles, the bridegroom. And when he uses his words, we get a picture. We begin to understand what these things are because of the picture that's formed in our mind. He calls himself Father. God is our Father. Right away, that means something to us. For some of us, maybe not such a good thing. For others, we get it, an understanding, loving thing. Our Father. He's referred to as the shepherd. Immediately, we have a picture of a shepherd caring for his sheep. So they, the Bible, God speaks to us through the Bible using these kinds of words that we're very, very familiar with. Even some things from his creation. He's our rock. Man, we can all picture a rock. How many of you picture a little tiny pebble when he says that? Not me. Man, it's a big rock that can't be moved. He's a fortress. He's a refuge. He's a shield. He's a strong tower. All of these words. So when you put all this together, we can understand all those words, and we start to get an idea. Even though Jesus came as God in the flesh to reveal himself to us, reveal the Father to us, these words, as we study the Scriptures, help reveal him to us. And the reason I went there and spent time talking about that is in this chapter 33, I believe this is what Moses does, that some words that he chooses about the blessings of God give me a picture. I think give us a picture that helps us to better understand the blessings that we have through Christ that Moses is talking about to the nation of Israel. In chapter 33, verse 3, the first part of the verse, it says, Surely it is you who love the people, and all the holy ones are in your hand. All the holy ones, that's you. Some translations say the saints are in his hand. We're all in his hands, held in his hands, safe, secure in his hands. Picture that tiny baby in the hands of its parents, safe, protected, secure, watched over, cared for, loved. We are in his hands. Picture for us that security that there is as a blessing from God for every single one of us. It's not like life is just this random choice. Things are going to just happen to us. No, he holds us in his hands. There's a scripture that I really appreciate in John chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hands, out of his hands. Instantly, in my mind, there's a picture of the promised blessing that's ours for us because he uses that human term, out of his hands. You know, we're all going to fail in our Christian walk. We're all going to fail in our Christian life. Thank goodness my salvation isn't dependent upon me. It's not. There would be no security in that. Mike, you're saved today, but don't mess up tomorrow. No security. He's holding me in his hands, safe and secure, 
those that are blessed are held in his hands. The rest of verse 33, verse 3, chapter 33, verse 3 says this, At your feet all bow down, and from you receive instruction. What is the, picture the blessing in this. If I'm Israel, if I'm this nation of Israel, Moses is going to die. He's going to be gone. Who's going to tell us what to do? Who can we trust? Who's going to guide us? Who's going to give us direction? All these years in the desert, man, Moses was the only one we could rely on. And they even rebelled against him anyway. But if they had a problem, Moses, you go talk to God. Where are we going to go? Where's the food going to come from? Where's the water going to come from? They trusted, and now he's going to be gone. He's going to die. Who are they going to look to? Big shoes to fill. What are they going to do? Where can they go to find the direction and wisdom that they're going to need for life? When we read the Scriptures, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, people. We just think about reading a book, and for a lot of us, it's a boring book. A lot of us, it's a book we don't understand. It's a book that we don't want to get. Listen, we are reading the words of God. It's like we can sit down at the feet of Jesus and read the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit guiding us, teaching us, enlightening us to what the Word of God means. We don't have to worry every time something comes across our path. What does God say? He probably has an opinion, and he probably will reveal it to you by his Spirit and through the Word of God. We are blessed because we can sit at the feet of the Father because of his Word. Remember when Mary and Martha were entertaining Jesus and his friends? And Martha, bless her heart, she's just using her gift to the max. She's a server. She's serving. She's just serving and serving. She's busy. She's preparing the food. And finally she sees Mary sitting over there and she goes, this maybe isn't fair. She decides to, Lord, you have not noticed I'm working my tail off and Mary's doing nothing but sitting there at your feet. What does Jesus say? He simply says very few words. Mary has made the right choice. There's only one thing you need. Only one thing. Mary made the right choice. That doesn't mean we don't serve. Don't get me wrong. But we need to be at the feet of Jesus, and we can be at the feet of the Lord with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit in us, giving us wisdom, guiding us, taking care of us. We can be blessed. He holds us in his hands. We are blessed. We can come to the feet of Jesus for direction, guidance. And then I want us to go to verse 12. Let the beloved of the Lord... Rest secure in him. You know, there's nothing like being secure. Feeling of security. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields them all day long, and the Lord loves, the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. There it is, another part of the human anatomy. Strength, security. You know, when my kids were younger, they would, uh, we would go on family vacations. And if you know my wife, we always got in the car and went west because that's where the mountains were and that's where the hiking was done. So we'd go out there. It didn't matter that our kids were pretty little. We were going to hike. Sometimes my wife gets tunnel vision when there's a hike before her. And we're hiking and we're up by the Continental Divide in Colorado and we're hiking. 
And Ethan, I don't know how old he was, but he's just a twerp. Really a talented, gifted twerp. But he is a little twerp. And all of a sudden, he's fussing, and we're at this altitude, and we're even wondering if he's getting altitude sickness or something like that. But I remember, you know, here he comes over to me. Carrie. I'm dying already. No. Carrie. So what do I do? I bend down. I pick him up, put his legs around my head, and he's sitting on my, my back between my shoulders. Place of rest. He didn't have to walk another step. He didn't have to worry about any burden. Place of rest. God, the people he loves, are between his shoulders. He carries us when we're too tired, too exhausted to go on by ourselves. He carried Israel, a fire by night, a cloud by day. He provided food, he provided water. There's a picture I'm sure most, most of us, have, well, maybe not, a poem I think most of us know, Footprints in the Sand, gives us a picture of this so well. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord, and many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints, other times there was only one. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there's only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? And the Lord replied, the times you have seen only one set of footprints is when I picked you up, put you between my shoulders, and I carried you. We are blessed because he will carry us. When we're weak, when we're weary, he doesn't abandon us. He picks us up, that strength that we have, the Holy Spirit in us will sustain us. We will be able to go forward. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him. For the shield, he shields them all day long. And the one that he loves, the Lord loves, rests between his shoulders. What a blessing for those that know Christ. And the fourth and the last one I'm going to point out today is in verse 27. It says this, The eternal God is your refuge, and his everlasting arms are under you. His hands, we can see it at his feet strength between his shoulders, and everlasting arms that are under us. C.S. Charles Spurgeon, some of you are familiar with him. He preached a sermon 135 years ago, and it was called The Everlasting Arms. And this was his text. And if you've never read any stuff of Spurgeon's, uh, he was quite a word craftsman. And he said this about this promise from God that the blessings of his, his arms, everlasting arms under us, he said... It's a promise for the place of perilous descent. I would have never been able to craft it that way. What does he mean? It's a promise for those times in our life when things aren't going well and there's a downward trend or downward slipping in our lives. His everlasting arms are under us all the time that downward journey of life. And we all have them at different times in our life, and they're different for each and every one of us. 
you know, sometimes they're just demonic spiritual attacks of the enemy. His everlasting arms are underneath us, supporting us, holding us up. Sometimes it's things as common as old age and the thing that happens as we get older in our life and all of a sudden we're not quite what we used to be. Sometimes that downward spiral of events in our life, our daily walk. Sometimes it's something happened at work. Sometimes you lose your job. Sometimes there's a financial burden. It can be so many different things that take place. Maybe you, you don't have the, the influence or the prestige that you used to have. Your reputation has been damaged for some reason. But on all of that, he says, you are blessed because underneath you are his everlasting arms holding you up and supporting you. Always, always. These are the blessings of God for those that know him as their personal Lord and Savior. What promises for each and every one of us? You can begin to see why, I hope, with more clarity when you read these scriptures, when Moses is talking about the blessings, that he holds those he loves in his hands. We can go to Jesus and sit at his feet through the word of God and the Holy Spirit. We have all of these blessings that come from him and him alone. The strength that he will carry us when we're weak. And knowing that he's always there, holding us up. When things go bad. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. Now, the really good news is this. What was for them is for us through Jesus Christ. I think it's really significant that Moses died outside of the promised land. You know, when I first think of this years ago, and sometimes I still go there, God, it doesn't seem fair Everything that poor guy had to go through, and you get him right there, all he got to do is walk across the river, and you're going to stop the river from flowing, and then you're going to defeat all the enemies, and just because he hit a rock instead of spoke to it, he doesn't get to go in. I think there's more to the picture than that. I think it's a good picture of the law versus grace. When we look at this, Moses was the lawgiver. And through the law, the law tells us what a blessed life looks like. But it says this, if you live like this, if you do this, then you will be blessed. The law gives you this glimpse of the blessing, but it doesn't lead you in. Moses didn't get to go in. The law gives you a picture or a glimpse of holiness, but it doesn't allow you to enter into holiness. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Someone greater than Moses would have had to come along. In Romans 3, verse 20, it says, No one will be declared righteous in his own sight by observing the law. All the blessings that they had the access to were under the law. The blessings that are talked about here, we have access to because of Jesus Christ. And it's not dependent upon us. doesn't mean there's not consequences to sin, etc. But it's through Christ, it's by grace that we receive these. These blessings can be ours through him on him alone. In John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, 
but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known to us. Jesus has made him known to us. Jesus went to the cross so we could have these blessings. We could live in these blessings. We could experience these blessings. They're for us. They're ours. Through Christ. Now, there may be some of us here that don't relate to much of what I've even said. And I will offer up that maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and surrendered your life to Him. Because we can't understand unless we know Jesus. We'll never be able to walk and live in those blessings. And it's not like God is holding them back to punish. He's offering them all to us on a platter and saying, because Jesus died for your sins, because he shed his blood, this gift is available to you, and all these blessings are available to you. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, all we need to do is humble ourselves and acknowledge that we're sinners and that there's nothing we can do in our own strength to earn his favor, to earn his blessing, or to earn our salvation. All we have to do is surrender, accept the gift of salvation through Christ, and give our lives to him. Don't worry, you'll mess up. We all have and all will. But we want to be secure in his hands. You wonder what to do in life? Sit at his feet. He'll reveal it to us. You're weary and wore out, and this whole thing we're living through today is exhausting. We can rest between his shoulders. No matter how bad it gets, his everlasting arms are underneath holding us up. So I would pray that anyone here that's never accepted Christ, today would be the day. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, we can't thank you enough for the gift that you gave us that we didn't deserve. That you came to earth in the form of a baby child. You took on flesh and became a man. While you yet remained God, you never sinned, not once. And yet you went to the cross and you took all of our sin upon yourself. And you experienced the wrath of God on our behalf. The punishment we deserved, you took it because you love us so much. And you died on that cross. They put you in a tomb. And even as we sang about this morning, the body began to breathe. And Jesus came forth from that tomb. He was resurrected. Proof certain that the sacrifice was sufficient for all who receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So, Lord, I pray this morning that even as we've shared, that there would be no one in here would not accept Christ even today. Reject this wonderful gift. And I pray, Lord, you would just reveal yourself by your Spirit to each one of us. God, I pray you would give us greater and greater revelation as we read your Word. And God, for those of us that are just stuck in this place where we don't even want to go pick up the Bible, Father, you would put in us, by your Spirit, a hunger for the Word. That we would have an insatiable appetite for your Word. That your Holy Spirit would work by your Word in our lives. Transforming us. Renewing our minds. That we could walk in the fullness of these blessings. Lord, again, give you thanks. Thanks.
pray that as we go our separate ways here today, that we go in confidence, knowing you for who you are, walking in the blessings that are provided for us. I pray you would watch over us, protect us, keep us safe. And God, give us the grace and the opportunities to share the good news that we have to others that don't know that good news. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.